think we've covered this several times on the podcast because even though food is one of the largest expenses after housing, Americans actually throw away 30 to 40% of the food that we buy. So this is a trillion dollar problem nationally, but it's also eroding your financial goals every time you do it. So getting a grip on food waste is one way to help yourself out. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today's episode is about food insecurity and really the case for mutual aid as a form of giving. I love it. I love it. So let's jump right in. Uh, This is in direct response to our book tour. So we had a summer book tour. We traveled to six cities around the country promoting our book, meeting with readers, listeners, and viewers around the country. And as a part of that effort, we made a point to do our part to fight hunger. And even when I say like fight hunger, it, it like the last time I even heard those words or mm-hmm. like those words even resonated with me, it feels like that was like back in the 80s or the 90s. But yet here we are in 2022. It is still an issue. It is still a major, major issue. And by the way, this is not like a major issue in a handful of cities yeah. around the country. This is a pervasive issue that's impacting even the, the largest major metropolitan areas like Washington, D.C., Atlanta, where we live. It is a major issue. Uh, and obviously, because we we're so passionate about wealth building, but also community. It's very difficult to be actively in the process of building wealth, but to ignore so many people who we know simply don't even have the means to like mm-hmm. do the basics, right? And so we kind of feel like it's our part to talk about both sides of this sort of issue. And who better to talk to it about or to talk about it with, I should say, mm-hmm. than our readers because they're actually people that we know can do something about it. They have the means, uh, they have the resources, they can actually do something about it like we did. Mm-hmm. And so here's what we did. Our book tour was sponsored uh, by Capital Group. They were an amazing partner to work with, but we went above and beyond and uh, sold tickets. They were affordable tickets, but we did that just to make sure that people came because people need that. You know, I, I paid, so I'm definitely showing up. What we did with that money is obviously we used it to offset some of the costs of going on tour, uh, but we also made a point to take some of those proceeds and to fund nonprofit organizations in the cities that we visited. This is in the spirit of leaving a place in better condition than we found it. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, as much as I loved meeting people, sharing our story, collecting story, Q&A and all of that stuff, the dining experiences. I, I was so proud that we were able to do this. And so when we came back and we were done and we tallied it all up, all six cities, all of the organizations that we uh, helped to provide funding for, we estimate between eight and 10,000 meals. We were able to provide between eight and 10,000 meals to families in need yeah. uh, throughout the country. And so I understand the book tours are supposed to be about selling books. Uh, I think we did our fair part of that, but I was really, really proud that we were able to make a dent in this issue. And so we wanted to talk about it a little bit more because I want to make sure that everybody knows 
how much of an issue this is even still today. Yeah, I think food insecurity as a cause has been top of mind all year as we've kind of watched soaring prices at the grocery store and everywhere else. And people are having to make very real trade-offs about what they can afford. The idea of having to decide between groceries to eat and putting gas in the car so you could work is very real. And I think there are a lot of people that are struggling with this, and most of it is in silence, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It can be, food insecurity can be largely invisible in the sense that just because you're experiencing food insecurity doesn't mean that you're also experiencing homelessness, right, or some other kind of visible struggle. You're truly just hungry and unsure about what resources may be available for you. And in today's climate, it's completely normal to just be hungry versus going to a food bank or a shelter because you assume that the people that are there need it more than you do. Or there's like the stigma of having to do that while you still have all of this other stuff. So today we want to spend some time demystifying what it means to be food insecure and why it happens and then kind of talk about some of the ways to save food, prevent waste, and how you can help. Yep. So let's dive in, uh, talking about uh, defining food insecurity. Uh, First things first, in the United States, uh, did you know, this is a bit of an unhappy did you know, one in four households are considered to be food insecure. And like every other sort of depressing stat that you hear like that, the pandemic has just made it worse. And Mm -hmm. so in some areas of the country or in some parts of certain cities, that number uh, is as extreme as one in three. Uh, So food insecurity is defined a couple of different ways. The first is the state of being without reliable access to a sufficient quantity of affordable, nutritious food. If you know anything about food deserts, then you've likely heard a a similar definition. There are Mm -hmm. parts of the country uh, or just places where you just don't have access. Uh, You know, it's, it it would require you to have a car or, you know, you can't walk anywhere or it's like miles and miles away where before you can go to a store that actually has a good amount of or good quality uh, nutritious food. Another definition uh, is that food insecurity is defined as the disruption of food intake or eating patterns because of the lack of money or other resources. And another definition, sort of a final definition, is that it's been referred to as like a household level economic and social condition of limited or uncertain access to adequate food. And so the last definition, I think, is is important because it, it correctly identifies food insecurity as a household issue and an overall social condition, which paints a, a better picture of this being more structural or systemic. This is not something that we are saying is sort of solely on the shoulders of the people themselves. It's a much yeah. broader issue. It's a very complicated issue, even though it kind of feels like something that can be solved relatively simply, but it's actually pretty complicated. We're yeah. not going to get into all of that stuff here, but... Um, no, I mean, I think it's fair because Jackson, Mississippi, we're recording this at the beginning of September. Jackson, Mississippi has been in the news this week because they don't have fresh water and they've run out of yeah. bottled water yeah. for their citizens, right? Flint, Michigan, been struggling with this for years. These are examples of how structural failures can put you in a position where regardless of how much money you have, you still experience how this food insecurity, you still experience the feeling of how am I going to eat and cook cook and live without something like fresh water and without having access to it. 
Now, I will say that the most common cause of food insecurity is low income, but it can also be caused by physical or logistical challenges with accessing or cooking nutritional food. So if you think about people with disabilities, they're extraordinarily vulnerable to food insecurity, as are people from rural communities or minority groups. But a recent study also revealed another large vulnerable population, which is college students. So there was a huge study done by Temple University and the Wisconsin Hope Lab, which is a student poverty research center. And they published the largest study to date in 2018, which surveyed 43,000 students across 66 different institutions, both two-year and four-year. And what they found was that one in three college students face food insecurity nationally, and more than 20% rated very low food security, which essentially means chronic malnutrition from food scarcity. So to your point, this survey was done in 2018. So the likelihood that these stats, which were already dismal, have gotten worse yep. is, is pretty high. And I was initially surprised by this, but then I think back to the way that we casually joke about eating ramen and peanut butter for all those years in school. And I'm like, yeah, actually this tracks. There were times where I didn't know what I was going to eat. It's just that now we have a name for it and we recognize that like, it's not cute. (laughs) Like it's not a good thing to not know where your next meal is coming from. Yeah. And listen, and if we're being honest, you know, I mean, I know people right now who survive and and eat these kinds of foods regularly. And again, this is not a sort of classist observation, right? This is like, no, this is what I eat because this is what I can afford. This is what I have to include or incorporate into my weekly diet just to sort of make ends meet. But going back to that survey for college students, when you look at the questions that it asked, things like skipping meals out of necessity or running out of money for food or, you know, experiencing unwanted weight loss or even going days without eating. It's like, yeah, like these are literal things that we just sort of throw in the air. It's like, oh, that's college. You know, that's that's what college is like. You have fun, right? It's like, no, that's food insecurity. No, that's all food insecurity, right? Like, and it's really unhealthy. And obviously there are sort of downsides to it. You're going to suffer from things like low energy, which, you know, obviously have huge impact on your performance and your attention span, malnutrition, which can balloon into other issues developmentally, uh, poor eating habits, which can lead to things like binge eating, which then leads to another set of issues like obesity mm-hmm. or just like the perpetuation of a poverty mindset. Yeah. This idea that this approach, that this way of life is normal and will always be is, is really uh, yeah. troublesome. And when you think about how that manifests into your likelihood to go go into investments or to become an entrepreneur when you've got this baseline level of insecurity in your life, you start to realize that something as small or as not small as we're pointing out as not having access to regular nutritious meals while you're learning can be really problematic as an adult. Yeah. This this also makes me think of, you know, the NCAA. I remember when we would read uh, these stories about these student athletes, right? And it's like, wow, like on top of their academic rigor and requirements, these are people who have, you know, really strenuous lives and schedules and they're performing at a high level, burning calories at a high rate, Mm -hmm. yet a significant number of them don't have enough food to eat. And then on top of that, there are all of these restrictions around how 
people can help them. Right? Exactly. I don't want to get off off topic yeah, here. Yeah, like, no, that's fair. But again, it's related. You know, it's like while you're watching college football or basketball, like just bear in mind that a lot of these kids that are out there busting their butts to entertain us, yeah, like don't even have enough food or aren't even able to eat quality food. So it's it's a big issue, and it's sort of like. Hidden in plain sight. It's hidden in plain sight. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about higher ed these days because of student loan forgiveness. And, you know, we believe that higher education is supposed to be this great equalizer. But we leave out that for most people, it's also their first time being on their own and needing to look for their own food sources oftentimes without financial resources or parents that have a stocked fridge to help them do so. Now, there has been some grassroots efforts by student activists working with kind of the big dining service providers like Aramark to reroute leftover food to pantries. And some schools have even gone as far as opening pantries on their campus. There's also been like some tech solutions, things like sending alerts when there are large catered events on campus that have leftover fruit trays or whatever so people can go get them that and there's like even a bum rush right waiting to happen <laughs> like black friday yeah bursting through made his wings on the third floor yeah. <laughs> like but that's that's the system that's how it works now it's just now tech enabled no now it's the, it's the executive assistants and the people <laughs> who are in the know sending group messages to people like hey come get these fajitas <laughs> there's also apps that will Allow students that have meal plans who have extra meal credits to connect with students who are in need. But generally speaking, there's no blanket policy or federal program that kind of prevents this from happening, which is kind of where we're coming in with like this mutual aid consideration where it's like, okay, then it's on us to redistribute resources. Yeah, I know many students who've returned back to campus and I want everybody to use this as a reminder to check in on them, right? Yeah, just man. Give like them, really you know, check. Check in on them. Just make sure they're good, right? Because they may not be willing to share in detail with what's going on with their parents or something like that, right? So you as an uncle, cousin, a friend, you might be able to get the real deal from them. And so if they need it, go ahead and send them a grocery card, a gift card, a care package. Like those things are yes, clutch. Some meals. They are clutch, yeah. Take them out to eat. Meals. Absolutely. And if you don't have any students in your life, uh, there's a nonprofit organization called Swipe Out Hunger that is student-led, and they partner with campuses across the country to try and solve this particular issue. Again, this is usually an issue with students from low-income housing, and it's bad enough trying to adjust to a new environment. So you can only imagine that it's even more difficult for them to be unfamiliar and like sort of suffering and hungry in the process. It really takes away from the the reason why they were going to school to begin with. Yeah. All right. Enough about the dismal stats. We are going to jump into some solutions and kind of what you can do about it. Okay, so the first solution a lot of people jump to is these people should apply for government assistance or SNAP, which was what they uh, used to be the food stamp program. Yeah. But applying for these programs is like incredibly complicated. And if you're a college student, not only do you have to meet all the pre-existing eligibility criteria, you also have to meet an additional requirement like caring for a child or working a part-time job or completing hours in a work-study program. There was a policy that expanded SNAP access Mm -hmm. to college students, but it's temporary and it's set to expire at some point in mid-October if the Department of Health and Human Services doesn't expand it. Yeah, it was basically one of the COVID response. It was part of a COVID response package. Right. 
that you didn't have to make the additional requirement. You still had to meet all the pre-existing ones, but right. you didn't have to do the additional thing. I think that's how it yeah, was. Yeah, so it's but, not as simple. Is, yeah, is but it, yeah, it's coming off the table yeah. more than likely. So as we mentioned before the break, I mean, there, there are plenty of grassroots organizations that are stepping up to support people who are food insecure. But we want to focus on things you can do in your household and to help mitigate against the likelihood that you'll experience food insecurity and to help the folks in your local neighborhood who may already be suffering from it. Yeah. So the first thing is really to focus on food waste. I think we've covered this several times on the podcast because even though food is one of the largest expenses after housing, Americans actually throw away 30 to 40 percent of the food that we buy. So this is a trillion dollar problem nationally, but it's also eroding your financial goals every time you do it. So getting a grip on food waste is one way to help yourself out. And I think part of the problem is that so much of the media around grocery shopping just focuses on the shopping part of the equation. You know, you watch these shows and people just kind of show up in the store with no lists, just vibes. And they're just kind of going around smelling and tapping and and selecting seasonal produce and following all the signs and filling up their carts with all these ingredients that they only plan to just use for one meal. And what it leads to is a bunch of waste. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's again, like I'm not trying to keep going back into the negative, but like the, the fact that these two stats coexist is such a huge problem. One in four households are food insecure. And at the same time, 30 to 40 percent of the food that we create uh, or make is essentially just thrown in the trash. Yeah. Right. So this is one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it, because, again, there are tons of people that could obviously make good use of that food. Um, But when it comes to this like casual shopping thing, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. Respectfully, you used to be like that. Yes, I did. They already know that. We'll have to bring it up. Like you were going (laughs) looking for shoes and dresses. It's a really bad habit. And I'll just say, like, again, I, I, I agree with you. I blame TV, Food Network, and all, all the networks out there that sort of make it seem like, well, this is what you do. Uh, so if you have that habit, here are a couple of things that you can do to help minimize waste. The first is cross-utilizing ingredients. So today's a great example. I made for lunch a smoked chicken Caesar wrap. The romaine lettuce I can use, I'd used in cop salad that I had uh, last week. The tortillas that I use for the wrap, I usually use for our sons who loves like quesadillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chicken I can obviously use for a number of things, but we were using it for just barbecue and uh, to make like little sandwiches and stuff. The point is, Every single one of the ingredients that went into making pie lunch could be used for multiple different things. And Mm -hmm. so everyone should be making that a habit. And so, again, not buying things to be used for one thing or in one way. If you do that, it's fine if you just eat it all. But if you're just going to buy one thing and then waste the rest, that's probably not a good idea. The second thing that you can do to help minimize waste is cook in batches and use that freezer. After spending weeks going back to our book tour on the road one of the things and this is like a i'm not gonna say a habit but like one of the things i actually look forward to doing is just getting back into the kitchen and sort of restocking the freezer Mm -hmm. restocking the pantry and doing all of those things because after a bunch of travel we typically end up in a situation where we've squandered everything we have and we don't have any reserves so i usually do things like i will like 
break out the grill and the smoker and I will like smoke a bunch of like chicken thighs, but I'm not going to eat all of it. Right? right. So I'm buying in bulk because it's less expensive sort of by portion that way. Mm-hmm. But then I'm freezing the rest so that I can pull it out whenever I need it. Saves time. It saves money. I do the same thing with a pork shoulder. So I'll go get a big old 10 pounder, smoke it. But then I can break that down into maybe six different packs so that I always have something that I can use for wraps or rice bowls or quesadillas or little hashes and things like that. Any number of things that you can make uh, with smoked pork shoulder. Everybody loves spaghetti and pasta dishes. So Mm -hmm. you can do the same thing with that stuff, like cook that stuff in batches and then freeze the rest instead of like cooking in batches. Because I hear people that say this all the time. I only know how to cook for large quantities of people mm-hmm. right and what they really mean by that is this is how i learned how to make it i don't know how to do the math to sort of break it yeah, down and say portion it out right and my thing is all right that's fine but what happens is when you cook in batches and then you try to eat through that batch you're going to get sick of it mm-hmm. right and that's typically where we end up throwing a bunch of food away right so if you're going to cook in batches that's fine it's actually really really smart and more cost effective to do that but don't be afraid to use that freezer Take it a step further. If you are a big fan of the podcast, you know, like my favorite kitchen tool is a vacuum sealer. I yes. have what's called a food saver vacuum sealer. It makes saved foods or frozen foods or even fresh foods uh, last significantly longer because you've essentially removed all the air in there. Uh, and it's a great way of minimizing waste. Like we have very minimal waste. We still have some because we got a five-year-old and he does yeah. not respect my grocery budget. <laughs> But <laughs> he gonna learn. Though. He gonna learn one of these days. <laughs> um, but the point is, th- these are some of the little things that we can do, not only just to save money, but also to save time. Cooking batches, but imagine not having to cook two or three other times during the week because you cooked like earlier this month, right? Yeah. And by the way, like for the people who say they don't like leftovers. When you're using a vacuum sealer, I, I can guarantee you it's going to taste exactly the yes. same way. Uh, and and put me on record by saying when we're talking about things, this is for the fellas out there, if we're talking about smoking foods, I'm willing to bet it's actually going to taste better. It's very similar to soups. There's mm-hmm. an old saying that when you make a soup today, it actually tastes better the next day because it the, the flavors have more time to sort of meld, mm-hmm. meld together. Same thing happens with smoked food. So whenever we smoke something, brisket, pork, chicken, you name it, it actually tastes way better, way smokier, made mm-hmm. more flavorful, like after we've already vacuum sealed it. I don't know why. I'm not a scientist, but I'm just telling you it actually tastes better. So those are just a couple of tips. Do not be afraid to spend money on a vacuum sealer uh, or a food saver. That's my favorite brand. Do not be afraid to buy in bulk, cook in bulk, but just make sure you're freezing it instead of telling yourself you're going to eat it all, but then eventually throwing half of it away because you get tired of eating it. Yeah. And also the benefit of having that freezer stash is that if you are in a situation where you are experiencing food insecurity, either because you had a sudden loss of income or maybe there's something happening in your town where you're not able to get to the grocery stores, they're shut down. Maybe you're sick and shut in and can't leave. You've got some level of like cushion already in your home that you can access, right? Now, if you find that you can't use your extras or maybe you don't want them, you don't have space for them, then I highly recommend that you look up community fridges in your area. So community fridges have been extremely popular since COVID, and they're also a really great way to practice mutual aid. It's just this idea that there is a fridge 
several fridges across your town and people can go and get what they need. It's a really powerful form of collective care and we love supporting them every chance that we get. We typically support them financially in our case because we don't have many that are like local to us in the area that we live in. But you've probably heard us say before, we've bought fridges, we donate to people who run these community fridges. Most of them are pretty decentralized and are usually 100% volunteer run. So depending on your area, you may be able to find an organization that has like an Instagram account or a listserv that can tell you which fridges are low on stock and specifically what they might need each week, right? Whether it's eggs or water or whatever, the people who run these fridges can kind of tell you what what they're missing. But I just find it such a simple and beautiful way to redistribute resources, right? So if you're about to go on vacation and you just... You know, you go through that clean the fridge out moment. If you're not able to eat everything, instead of throwing it away, either freeze it or box it up and put it in a community fridge in your area. If you host a party or a meeting at work and there are copious amounts of leftovers, see if you can have somebody swing by the community fridge and drop them off in there. And it doesn't even have to be you, right? You can easily find courier services or even just volunteers within you know, the attendees that'll handle that task for you if you can plan it in advance, right? So just make sure that you're constantly thinking about the end of the night whenever you're hosting these things that just have full spreads and try to make a plan for that for that food. It's a little thing, but it goes a really, really long way. Yeah, I will go ahead and give another recommendation for vacuum sealers. We're getting ready to go on a couple of vacations. And again, what most people do is that when they're leading into vacation, like what to do with the food is always mm-hmm. a bit of a consideration, right? Because I've got food in the fridge. That's just not what I want to eat today, right? Great opportunity to just vacuum seal it and you can have it when you come back. Or if we're talking about fresh foods, but you don't want to cook it because you feel like, ugh, you know, I'm getting ready on vacation. I'm in vacation vibes. Like this is real, right? This is how people feel instead of just throwing it away or leaving it there because you don't want to come back and feel like it's going to be rotten. Exactly. Vacuum seal it. Yes. It'll be completely fresh by the time you get back. Like vacuum sealing makes your food stay like fresher, like something like three to five times longer Mm -hmm. than it normally would. And and I actually, at this point, look forward. It's kind of like an experience. I'm like, all right, what else can I seal today? Fruit, herbs, cheese. Cheese is another one. You ever buy cheese in a block instead of like shredded cheese, which is great, like if you're making macaroni and cheese. But more often than not, what people do is they just sort of try to fold up the thing and put it back into like a plastic bag. It's still going to get moldy. I can assure you that when you vacuum seal it, you're literally just – shaving off what you need and then putting it back into the style of packaging that it was in in. when you actually bought Mm -hmm. it. And so you don't end up buying cheese nearly as often because you just buy the block, you freeze it, and then you just keep on pushing. So I'm telling you, the vacuum saver or -hmm. food saver will pay for itself likely in the first month. Everyone should have one. And if you don't have a vacuum sealer, I've seen a couple people do this on TikTok and Instagram. You can create your own sort of bootleg vacuum seal by simply putting a straw in a bag, sucking the air out of it, sucking the air around the food. I don't recommend this with like raw meats. You don't want a (laughs) mouthful of meat juice. But like if you have bread or baby carrots, you know how they get ashy after they've been open a little while. You can put them in a a Ziploc bag, a gallon size bag and add a little straw, inhale, y'all know how to inhale, inhale, suck the air right out of that. Wow. 
and then seal it up, right? It's not perfect, but it does give you that kind of airtight seal that will help you keep things a little longer. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you spoke a little bit about community fridges. Yeah. I want to talk about a few other resources, but also what makes them different because I think a lot of people use the terms interchangeably. So there are food banks and then there are food pantries. Mm -hmm. So a food bank is a place that collects food and resources like, you know, doing your food drive or something like that. Those cans and boxes and all those products typically go to a food bank. uh, And that bank collects those uh, foods, organizes them, and they provide them to partners who need the resources to help support the people in need. A food pantry is basically a straight to consumer uh, resource. So a food pantry, you give them the food and it goes straight to someone. A food bank is just like a larger institution or distribution center, if you will, that supports organizations like food pantries or Meals for Wheels or something like that. Either way, one of the things, and this is not to critique them, but to sort of widen your understanding of some of these things. And this, as someone who cares about food, uh, this is one of my biggest uh, critiques and challenges with these organizations is that very few of them actually cater to people who have specific needs right, dietary around needs, food or yeah. dietary needs. Or maybe you have some type of medical condition that means you should be mindful of eating certain types of food. Uh, and if we're being completely honest, some of them are are kind of arrogant in the sense that you should just be happy yeah. with what we're giving you, right? And yeah. it's like, yeah, but the thing is, like, this is going to leave me inflamed. Or this is going to exactly. sort of uh, give me downstream challenges with mm-hmm. my diabetes. I'm not being picky. I'm literally just telling you, do you have anything yeah. that might be good for me and or my family, right? right? And so going back to what we did with our book tour we were very mindful of supporting organizations that not only, like, again, not to disrespect food banks, yeah, but I feel absolutely like a place th- for there are plenty of funding and plenty of resources for them, but there's not nearly enough resources to organizations who are actually catering to people uh, who have, like, quality needs or nutritious needs or special needs. And so a couple that I really want to shout out um, because I'm really impressed with what they do. The first one was, uh, this was the last organization that we helped to fund. It was in Richmond uh, and it goes by the name of RVA Siva Truck. And I don't know all of the details about the organization, but I believe it's a partnership between a family that happens to own farmland uh, and on that farmland, they grow fresh product. They're also mindful of waste. And rather than wasting that food, they partnered with an another family who has a food truck and they basically act as a a resource for the food truck to prepare foods uh, for people who have very specific needs. And they do a great job of doing that. The second one that I would shout out is uh, a woman. I cannot remember her name. I believe her name is Carrie, but she runs an organization called a place at the table in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you look them up, they were actually featured on Good Morning America, um, I want to say last year sometime. What I love about this is that it's actually a cafe. And it's a cafe no different than any other cafe that we would go to, mm-hmm. except you can pay what you want. So if you are someone who is food insecure and you want to have a good meal, you can go to a cafe like this. Again, it's about maintaining your integrity, right? Yeah, and, and dignity. dignity. Mm-hmm. Since you don't, because again, like a lot of the people who are in these situations, 
the day before didn't realize that they were in those situations, right? right? And so it's one of those in-between places that really factor in some of the psychological barriers that get in the way here. But it's an actual cafe, and you can pay what you can. For people like us, we can go and pay whatever we want. We can pay more Mm -hmm. than what the price uh, allows. And what they do with the rest is they convert that into tokens, which then go to people who are in need, and then they're issued uh, to, to to people and they can come back and give those tokens, et cetera. So we love both of those organizations, specifically all of the ones that we supported because they specifically focus on quality yeah. and nutrition yeah. and uh, maintaining dignity and quality meals and all of those things, as opposed to just drop off your canned goods yeah. and we'll do our part to whip them up and serve them to people and they better just be happy with that. So yeah. all of that to say, this is a major, major issue. Obviously, not just the people of that are in need, low-income people or even college students who might be low-income, but uh, immigrants, etc. But it's also complicated in terms of the different ways in which there are organizations sort of picking up where government left off in terms mm-hmm. of pantries and food banks and community fridges and so on. So there are a lot of different approaches and ways in which we can address this. Obviously, there's us doing our part or you doing your part to help fund these organizations so that they can continue to do good work. But then there's also our part of just doing the right thing and being model citizens and minimizing the amount of food that we waste in our own homes and throughout our own lives and sort of living by example so that we can help Make sure that the food is going to people who really, really need it. I love that. Final thoughts. I like. I can't add anything to it other than like. I can keep on going. I yeah. I'm sure you have some takeaway. <laughs> so my my takeaway is really just around centering mutual aid, which is again is this idea of members of a community working together to solve an issue. As a part of your giving strategy, I think a lot of us were taught to give as children, but we haven't revisited what giving looks like. Mm-hmm. We kind of just write a check and check the box. But there are a lot of people who need mutual aid and support to live and community members helping each other out. And to your point, filling these cracks where a bunch of other institutions kind of left us hanging is the way we the way we bring people along. I think also so many of us kind of talk about how hard it is to stop buying stuff impulsively or, you know, how difficult it is to align our spending to our values. And sometimes it takes something like mutual aid and kind of experiencing life on the other side to remind us of what really matters. When you're able to give directly, when you're able to literally put food in a refrigerator and see that somebody took it and and consumed it, it kind of gives you this opportunity to reestablish human connection And the value of that is really immeasurable. Like I can't put a price tag on it, but I can just say that it changes the way your brain kind of sees the world and how you spend your money and your time. Yeah, for sure. I know even I, you know, like as I'm thinking about where we are coming off of the book tour and and honestly, like giving more money than we've ever given in -hmm. our lives, like it really helped me to change the way that I, I, I see these things. And so I'm encouraging you all to do the same. I've got a bunch of takeaways. I'm just going to stitch a couple together. The first one is to, you know, we talk a little bit about this in our book around homelessness or houselessness. I honestly Mm -hmm. do not know which is the more appropriate term, but I do think that people know what I'm talking about. And it's, I believe there's a general sense that most people just do not ever envision themselves of ever being in this situation. And I would just caution you, 
from really thinking about that. This is one of the reasons why we're talking about it is because it hit really close to home, not in our home literally, but in a family member who found themselves a couple of years ago having hit hard times and not really knowing what to do. Not Through really no fault of his own. Where he to was go. injured. It was a medical got issue. Sick. Yeah. And then here we are. And it's like, what do I what do I do? Like short of just asking people for money. He was like, did not know, right? Because yeah. you no know, one thinks about where do you go? It's not like you can sort of see uh, the train coming in some yeah. cases. And so this is one of the reasons why we're talking about this. But the second reason I would say is that there is a direct correlation between poverty and crime. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we live uh, the way that we live now, where we're obviously uh, in a period of transition, you could argue that we're always in a period of transition. But again, having traveled the country as extensively as we have over the last couple of years, and you see the change literally, you see how extreme it is. And by that, I mean $500,000, $600,000 homes feet away from dilapidated housing, right, because of gentrification and so on. And there's this general understanding that these two communities will coexist. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. Think again, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. There's no way uh, that you are going to be able to coexist. People who are eating steak Mm -hmm. and lobster are not going to uh, live comfortably mm-hmm. next to people who are struggling, mm-hmm. right? And so when we start to think about these broader issues and who's going to do something about it, obviously it bleeds into political conversations. But in the interim, because we know how long and windy those roads can be, in the interim, there's something that we can do as individuals uh, to help support a lot of these organizations in between. It's bigger than just sort of wanting to feel good. It's about trying to create the world or the community that you want to live in and giving everyone an equal opportunity to have a quality, a high quality of life. So it's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about food insecurity. I'm confident that we have reintroduced someone to this crisis or this challenge, and hopefully we've reintroduced them to a set of issues that they can tap into to help do their part in their local community. So I love that. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you like what you heard, please do us a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave us a five-star rating and review. We will see you next week. 